Craig. This is the WC News cycle that never ends. It just goes on and on, Jeff. We thought it was over with new baseball coach, but now there's more shit to talk about, and it's just going to keep going on forever just because this is the WAC News cycle that never ends. All right, that's for all my <laughs> Lamb Chop fans in the in the audience. Yeah, yeah. It, it never ends because uh, it loves podcasts versus everyone. It wants yeah. us to have plenty of material to talk about. We And, you know, a little bit behind the curtains, we have a, a a shared Google Doc full of ideas of WSU things to talk about in the summer. We may never have to use any of them. That'd be awesome. Well, I don't know. Would it be awesome? I don't know. Because like, I'm trying to think of what else. Fun. I mean, what else could happen? And well, we said after the baseball, we said after the baseball coach, like if anything happens now, it's going to be awful. Yeah, I mean that that was kind of the that was kind of the well, thought, but, but you like know, this week, behold, man, we have good like things have happened. Tons of good news to talk about this week. Good stuff. Yeah. Jeff, uh, so this is podcast versus everyone. I am Craig Powers, live from the Hyatt Place Indianapolis downtown lobby, because um, my daughter and her mom are sleeping in our room. Because um, we are, um, I'll get into why I'm here later. Uh, but uh, and with me as always is Jeff. Who is podcasting on location in HQ East? Jeff, how you doing? Pretty good. Uh, in order to uh, try and compete with the ambient sound from from your hotel lobby, um, I have children, so they may. We're recording a little earlier than usual, you know, since you're uh, over there in Eastern Standard or Eastern Daylight Time. We're on Daylight Time now, right? Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, my Just children. Say Eastern Time. Yeah, Eastern Time. I know. I was, I always do that when I'm writing. If, if anybody oh, yeah. ever, Just go people, ET. Yep. People probably never have noticed, uh, but when I write for Coog Center and I put a time on it, I always just do PT. I'm like, I don't want to figure – I don't want to Google if it's standard time or daylight oh, yeah. time. I now. do I do pretty much all the football game time posts, you know, yeah. at least 90% of them, and I've yeah. never once put DT or <laughs> ST because you're definitely going to get it wrong, and then yeah. someone's going to be like, whoa, it's – Yeah, it's, it's daylight time right now. It's like, oh, pfft. Who cares? So anyway. Also, the so, S and the D are right next to each other. They That's are. Just even. Diabolical. Diabolical. Anyway, my kids are still awake. So uh, and they're punching each other and, and yelling at each other. So uh, to compete with with your ambient noise from the hotel lobby, you may get some ambient noise of uh, brothers squealing and hitting each other. So. So I am. Um, I basically. You know, I, I came down. I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna record from the bar. And then, of course, then they have this beautiful, like, they have this nice, like, outdoor patio. We're right across from uh, the Indiana Pacers uh, stadium. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Uh, something Fieldhouse. Some yeah. Corporate name Field Bankers something Fieldhouse. Um, corporate cool. sponsor Fieldhouse. You know, I got a I got a sports vibe. You know, um, it's not a Fieldhouse if it's not corporate sponsored. Um, and then. Uh, yeah, there's this fire pit out there. My odds be nice, but they got some music playing out there. Probably too loud for our listeners. Um, but yeah, and then, um, and then I was like, oh, there's a business center on the other side of the lobby. They got music. There's a, a speaker directly above that. So I am like stationed in between the two spots, but right next to the registration desk. So they'll probably be able to hear me. And also you'll get to hear when someone checks in 
And also, you may get to hear when my luggage finally arrives. Because it's, it's supposed to be on its way from Ooh. the airport tonight. Is it? Is there a point where you're just going to go, okay, hold on, i got to get my luggage? Like, is that going to happen during the show? That that very well could happen. And I say, just keep recording. <laughs> just keep record recording. You'll just be like, keep talking. Let me go get my luggage. Oh, no, we'll just record my interaction. But it, but the, the nice thing for... Uh, the airlines is it's like a third party that delivers the luggage so if you're mad at them it's like they're the ones that are like delivering the good news so you can't like be like well i have something to say to you um so yeah uh well it saved me getting that news tonight as we were spending our second day in the mall downtown uh here uh about ready to buy another set of clothes for the next day you know some underwear and some socks at least um at yeah, least at least Since uh, it's but, on someone else's dime i'd yeah certainly, oh yeah i'd certainly milk the hell out of that oh yeah we we definitely were going to i was gonna buy another set of clothes and and but uh as i was doing that i uh, got the call and i was like honestly i'd rather just not shop for clothes anymore i don't really care like all right that sounds great <laughs> i know it's like um, the, the idea of someone else buying clothes for you sounds good until you yeah, actually have to go clothes, clothes until you actually have to go clothes shopping then it's like i don't care if anybody else is paying for this like I, I don't want to do this and i hate malls yep they're just miserable places they are filled with teenagers who hangs yeah. out around teenagers yeah. anyway yeah exactly nobody does that by choice yeah yeah except idiots 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 that podcast yeah all right, so Jeff, uh, uh, since you talk to teenagers all day, you're obviously drinking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I only have a few days of school left. Woo! Yeah. Um, well, you know damn well what I'm drinking, Craig, so let me tell everybody about it. Um, so uh, Saturday night, my wife and I got to meet up with uh, Craig and Amanda um, out at uh, Beer Star, which is a, a local tap room out there in Tacoma. And uh, Craig said, oh, I have some beer for you. So he uh, well, he, after he went and dropped off the movie at Redbox, then he ran back. I, I assume he ran back home to get the to get the beer, yep. which is just down the street from Beer Star and came back and uh, came back with two cans of f star cancer which i believe is short for fuck cancer yeah ipa by uh silver moon brewery out of bend or silver moon brewing excuse me out of bend um and so this is uh, the reason why craig thought of me those of you who listen who may have read kook center for quite a while uh it's not something i talk about a whole lot anymore um because it's not it's not really central to to my life the way it was uh, you know, like four, four or five years ago. But um, I have three boys. If, if you listen to the podcast, you know that I have three sons. Uh, my oldest one is 12. That's Joshua. My uh, middle one is Tristan. Uh, he's about to turn 10. And then my youngest is Atticus. He's seven. Uh, Tristan, uh, shortly before his third birthday, was diagnosed with leukemia. So um, we went through a long and difficult uh, battle against cancer. Well, he did. We, we were along for the ride. He went through the battle. Um, and for those of you that don't know a whole lot about leukemia, he had, uh, he had what was called acute lymphoblastic leukemia or ALL, which is sort of the, uh, the least lethal kind of leukemia. Um, and so, but it is a very long and arduous, uh, treatment process. And so, uh, it was actually over three years of treatment. Um, and then, uh, three years of, of putting chemo into his body and stuff like 
that, which of course is never good. So now we're dealing with sort of the fallout from that different sort of physical developments, uh, delays, things like that. But, uh, but he's very much alive and we are very thankful, uh, for the doctors that, you know, we're able to help him uh, get past his cancer. And uh, this particular beer, uh, the money, the proceeds from it go to cancer research uh, and cancer prevention and things like that. And so uh, I am I am proudly drinking the uh, the F cancer beer tonight uh, out of uh, thankfulness for for the life of my son. And he is despite some of the you know physical limitations that he's got, which are major, but just sort of coordination issues, muscle issues, things like that. He is otherwise a, a thriving, intelligent, bright, delightful boy. And, uh, and I'm very thankful that he's still with us. Can confirm all the adjectives, uh, for your son. Uh, of course, I, um, Tristan is a, a wonderful kid. Uh, I'd say even, uh, a uniquely bright personality, especially considering what he's went through in his, uh, short life so far. So, um, yeah, so uh, obviously uh, you came to mind as a fellow uh, craft beer drinker and someone who And knows, cancer hater. Yeah, and cancer <laughs> hater, who, who knows the full brunt of it all. Uh, I won't say the full brunt, but, uh, well, yeah, you, have, you definitely met some Yeah, we do have friends. Way, so, we do yeah. have friends who weren't quite as fortunate as we were, so. Yeah, yeah so you do know the full brunt and the full experience. And uh, so, yeah, uh, fuck cancer. Um out of uh, five of those, uh, how would you rate that uh, IPA you have there, Jeff? Five. Because. <laughs> because. Go buy all of it. All, That's actually, right. Yeah, truthfully, it has sold really well. There was yeah. only three cans of it at Pine Defiance. And yep. uh, when I when I picked it up, I kept one for myself and gave you the other yeah. two. Well, and uh, I think that, you know, cancer is one of those things that, that sort of touches everyone in some way. Um, obviously not everybody has a kid, but, uh, you know, I mean, most people I think, um, either know someone or have a family member or whatever. Um, you know, a staff member at my school right now is, uh, has moved to Seattle temporarily to receive treatment uh, for cancer. So anyway, it's, I think most of us know someone who's had to deal with it. So yeah, buy it all, buy all of it as much as you can. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. Uh, that, that's, uh, I'm glad you're drinking that one. Glad you're enjoying it. Um, you have any tasting notes you can throw on top of that guy? Uh, it's a pretty, uh, pretty hoppy kind of standard West coast IPA type style. So, uh, you know, fairly amber in color and, you know, it's got kind of got those, uh, those IBUs ramped up. So yeah, yeah it's, think, you know, just like it, that. The price point on it was pretty like low, can, like these days. You know, yeah. it's like it was like two bucks a can. Like, uh, but it, it was. Uh, I, I would think like to maximize, you know, money you're donating, you'd you'd want to, you know, not make this like expensive malt and and uh, you'd make you'd make a, a recipe you know and a recipe where the hops are easy to come by and not so expensive yep. and and so yeah yeah it's kind of what yep. you expect. Yep. It's um, good. It's good standard, just you know, solid IPA. It's comfort. That's five, whatevers. Yeah. Great. Um, so. <laughs> What'd you find? What kind of weirdness did you come up with? So yeah, I uh, um, earlier today uh, I, I'm in like a, a travel beer group, or like like in a in a Facebook group uh, that's all about um, 
giving people tips on where to go uh, to find good craft beer. And uh, turns out one of the places people have recommended was just a, a liquor store about four blocks from my hotel. So uh, I was able to go down there. They actually had a nice selection. I picked up some of uh, some Driefontein and Tilken Lambic, which like was not expecting. Um, um, I picked up this uh, from uh, Black Feet Brewing, Black Acre Brewing, um, I believe out of Indy. It was with all the, uh, yeah, Indianapolis. Um, it's American Pale Lager, which I got because I was like, oh, you know, whatever. It's like they're making like a Coors Light style beer. Didn't even read the label. Uh, and then I look <laughs> at it. It's like heavily citra dry hopped with like, like tons of like, like it's just, and it's awesome. Like it's refreshing. It's got a good... Uh, nose to it but anyways that's not the that's my sidecar beer uh i got a couple of those sitting next to me right now i was enjoying one before the podcast but the beer i am having is uh from a brewery called central state brewing um they call this beer a midwest exotic which i like Ooh. <laughs> uh, i don't know so, how many exotic things are there in the midwest uh i guess I we'll know. talk about that later that's a good question. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so this is from their research and development series. It's got a very research and development look to it. It's like, it's like uh, old school typewriter font, um, and it uh, it's called Barrel Aged Bashi or Bashi, who knows? B A S H I. Uh, the style farmhouse barley wine style ale aged in wine and bourbon barrels. So. Obviously, I drink a lot of barley wines and of that nature on, on this podcast because I drink a lot of barley wines and of that nature in, in life. Um, but this was what, what uh, reached out to me here was the farmhouse element. And I was like, Alex, I want something weird, you know, and to get, yeah. get going to Indianapolis and just find the weirdest sounding beer I could pick up from the shelf, you know, because uh, I could have just done some standard IPA and that's boring. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is, uh, I actually saw this when I'm central, central state has a bar, which comes up as the most recommended among beer nerds, uh, beer bar to go to in the city. And it's called, they call it cool ship, uh, spelled K O E L S C H I P, which is, uh, the Dutch, uh, like the, the, what it's the term for, uh, the, um, the fermentation, uh, the vessel that's used for um, inoculating uh, lambic with uh, uh, um, uh, basically yeast from the air. So uh, as I've talked about before on this podcast, uh, lambic beer in Belgium is uh, spontaneously fermented with yeast from there. And so uh, they named their bar after this. So I knew they must have been doing some interesting things. I hope to hit up that bar. I have a couple more nights here after this. So I'm hoping to get there um, uh, at some point. Uh, but uh, I saw this on their uh, on their list. And I was like, that sounds something very interesting. And lo and behold, I was at that, beer, that, that uh, liquor store. And uh, I, I uh, spotted it. And I was like, oh, that sounds very interesting. So, yeah, it's definitely a barley wine. Like, there's no, like I was kind of worried. It would be some barley wine that they accidentally soured, and it, and they were just like, oh, we're calling it a farmhouse barley wine, but it's definitely not sour. Like it's, um, I think, really the the farmhouse element comes from the wine barrel. I'm sure they pitched because I've noticed all their beers are farmhouse style, 
so they probably pitched some you know bread or something into it i'm not getting much of that though um and it didn't have like a fizz that i would have expected from like something with that so it might not really even have the elements the, the wine barrel it's a wine and bourbon barrels and they blended them the wine barrel is definitely prevalent and definitely giving it a sort of unique element um it's a little lighter than some of the barley wines i drink still very heavy it's ten and a half percent um but i gotta tell you like it's it's got a nice nose um it's definitely unique in its approach and uh, and taste and like and and uh but the, the mouth feels there like i expected this to be this like thin thing because be thinned out by some like wild yeast or whatever i'm sorry if you know people are talking very loudly because I'm, I'm at a hotel can um, still totally hear you no worries yeah, that's good um but um but yeah I'm, I'm 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 enjoying it like it's actually pretty easy to drink for a barley wine like it's not too sweet but it does have some sweetness it does have some of those like caramel type elements you'd expect from a barley wine it has the color um it has the you know the viscosity but it's like quite quite easy to drink and and i'm I'm, it's, you know, I'm having probably, I, it was only in the fridge for about um, a, an hour. Um, an interesting thing, uh, so in, in the state of Indiana has, has had many odd beer laws. Um, so I'll get into this at this point, but I'll, I'll, I'll talk more about this in a bit. But they used to have, a, they have a rule where um, uh, grocery stores and, uh, and convenience stores and gas stations can't sell their beer cold. And the, the, the idea behind it was then so people couldn't open it on the way home. <laughs> so, so this oh, liquor store actually could. It would just be could, so tempting but, if but it's gold. But liquor stores can still sell them cold to go. So, but no one would ever do that going home from a liquor store. Just, you know, a convenience store, whatever. The liquor store is open late, just like the, like, so it doesn't make any sense. But, uh, but so that was able to pick these, uh, these pale lagers. This one, not a, you know, I, if I was them, I wouldn't waste uh, cooler space on it because it's a barley wine. So it just chilled. So it's a nice temperature right now. And it's very nice. Um, uh, out of, um, oh, it's been a rep. Okay. Uh, out of uh, so there's a probably maybe the best thing about Indianapolis, and I'll get into this later, is their children's museum. Ooh. And so um, out of five uh, children's me, they they actually have the the URL childrensmuseum.org. That is how big they are. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's actually really impressive. Yeah. Um. So I'll talk about that a little later. Um, when it comes to the uh, redemption part for Indianapolis, um, but uh, <laughs> teaser, uh, teaser, yeah, spoilers are overrated as we've talked about earlier. Um, um, but uh, yeah, uh, um, out of out of uh, five uh, children's museums, uh, you you use quarters a lot. I'll use a quarter. I'll give it four point two five. There you go. Um, it's pretty damn tasty. I'm, it's better than I expected, honestly. Like I was like, I'm just getting this weird ass beer. It's probably gonna be a mess. But it's really good. I really like it. Well done. Well done, Central State. Well done, Indianapolis. Good job, And well done this other beer that I'm drinking from Indianapolis. Like, fuck, man. I make good beer everywhere. It's nice. That's the beauty of beer. Yeah, exactly. Good beer everywhere. All right, man. So, uh, we have good reason to... We have good reason to drink 
in happiness tonight. Right. Um, uh, we have mourned uh, the expected departure of Marvin Cannon before. Uh, and we've talked about how he could be under Kyle Smith a lot, but we're going to do it again. <laughs> because yeah. Marvin Cannon. And, because and now I he's back. He's back. And, and of course, I hope this is a, you know, a good thing for him. Um, but, uh, but he's back. Um, he showed up on the roster. Uh, Jeff, you got confirmation from your trusty source. And, uh, and now we know officially Marvin Cannon's coming back, which is one, a roster that was very light on experience, uh, gets an, uh, an experienced player back. And then also one of the top, you know, one of the actual pack. 12 level players that we had last season. So that's great. Yeah. Like he's a guy who, uh, who's, is fairly exciting. One of the things I kind of love, uh, about the, the potential of him being back is, is he really is. Well, number one, we know Kyle Smith is going to emphasize defense. Like we know that for a fact, we know that his number one sort of issue with the team when he showed up was, was how, how poor the defense was. Um, you know, he said that right away. He said, and he said the Ken Palm number, he's like, they were 290, whatever, 297th or whatever, um, in defense and said, you know, we got to fix that. We got to fix that right away. And Marvin Cannon is, I think really the only guy on the roster who has the potential to be sort of a game changing defensive player. Um, I think there are uh, plenty of other guys who can be good defensive players. Uh, in particular, I think CJ Ellaby could be really, really good. Um, he's a high effort, high motor guy. So, um, I think he could be a really excellent defender, but, but Cannon, there's something special about him. I mean, even in the middle of last season's, you know, total debacle of a defense, uh, he, he, he made some special plays, uh, particularly recovering and blocking shots. Um, you know, he's long, he's quick, he gets off the floor quickly. Um, he's just a guy who can be disruptive. And when I interviewed Kyle Smith back, you know, a couple months ago when I was in Pullman, um, and this was when Marvin Cannon was, was still on the roster and sort of a hundred percent bought in, um, you know, he said, look, I told Marvin Cannon, you know, I want you to be our Kyle Weaver. And, you know, it, it's I don't think that was a, a reference to his offense. Right. Because there's not a lot similar about what Cannon does offensively with what Weaver did offensively, where yeah. Weaver was sort of a point uh, forward. Was, yeah. Right. Yeah. Really a, a point forward or an oversized point guard, um, you know, definitely excellent ball handler, really good passer, not a great shooter, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, just real crafty and savvy. Cannon is a he's a slasher. Um, and, and an explosive player, just a very different kind of offensive player. But defensively, um, I think, you know, you see some similarity. There's similar size. Maybe Cannon might be a little shorter, uh, certainly maybe a, a little less strong. But, um, you know, the kind of guy with the kind of wingspan who ought to be able to guard a number of different positions um, and, and just be a real disruptive force. And so I think that um, he's a guy who who could be a centerpiece, even if he's only scoring – you know, 10 points a game or whatever. I mean, I don't know what his offensive upside really is. And, you know, maybe you have some thoughts on that. Um, I tend to think that he's, he's the kind of guy who might be hurt a little bit by the three point line going back. Uh, Cause the strokes a little shaky, but you know, and, he, and he's more of an opportunistic scorer. 
he kind of feeds off the space that's vacated by other people. Um, so he doesn't really create for himself. So, you know, I, I don't know what the, what the ceiling is as far as, as far as scoring goes, but, but I do know that I firmly believe that Kyle Smith can make him into a, uh, if he wants to work that hard, um, into, into a stopper on defense. And, and I think the indications are he's a great kid who works hard and, and I think he'll, I think he'll adapt to that. So, you know, all in all, uh, you know, adding a guy who can be a transformative defensive player to a team that's really going to emphasize defense, um, is, is totally huge. And he, he obviously brings an athletic element that, um, you know, I think the, the athletic gap, I think the, the, the the gap in athleticism from the top of the roster to the bottom of the roster is smaller than it was a year ago. Um, no matter what, you know, Coug fans said over all of last year about how long and athletic the team was. Um, I think that gap has definitely been closed this year, but Cannon is still, you know, in that upper area as far as athleticism goes. And so, yeah, all around, uh, it's awesome that he's back. I know the, I know the, um, the men's basketball staff is excited to have him back and uh, and one of the interesting things that that uh, that my source told me was that, you know, that I kind of asked, you know, did did was you know did he have to get re-recruited? Is that is that kind of how this came about? And I said that you know it, basically that Cannon sort of looked around and and ultimately just decided that you know Wazoo was the best place for him, and um, and I think that's a really good way to make sure that a guy is bought in, you know, that he wants to be there and that it's not um, because he doesn't really have any other options. So. Yeah, all around, great deal. Yeah, and, uh, you know, just speaking a little bit to his offensive capability, you know, uh, we've talked about this before, uh, and the ability to draw fouls and get to the free throw line is huge. Uh, We don't have another guy coming back that was particularly good at that outside of Cannon. Um, You you need someone that can do that, And, and... he converted the free throws at a really high rate last year. Maybe, you know, maybe he won't always be able to do yeah, that. But, maybe but unsustainably if, high, but But, yeah, still. especially especially during conference play. But, but I think his true form could be around 80% for sure, like, because he's very consistent in his stroke. Um, you know, it's not the prettiest stroke, but it's consistent. And he's consistent in his approach at the line, and, and that's, as anybody that's played any amount of basketball knows, that's the most important thing, unless you're Shaquille O'Neal. Um, and, uh, the other, uh, the, yeah, I totally agree with you on the three point line. Um, I, I, I'd be interesting to see like a Kirk Goldsberry style, uh, like heat map of where his shots were. I'm pretty sure most of his threes were right up against the line, um, in the corner or at the wing. Uh, he, and he didn't take very many of them. Uh, 54 is not a lot of, especially in, you know, when you have guys hucking everything they see, um, and his percentage, he was pretty high at one point, and it, as the season went on, he was not hitting them very often. So um, he ended up at 33%. Uh, but uh, I, I, you know, that's unfortunately that's not a, it's not a huge, huge part of his game. Uh, one thing that you know, it, it's we could say this about any player, is. Kyle Smith is going to be more thoughtful about where his players are on the floor offensively. Um, I think that he probably has an idea of how he wants to use Marvin on offense. And he's looking at the same data that we are. Um, And so he knows what his strengths are and he knows what his limitations are. 
and I'm sure he's watched a ton of film on him at this point too. Um, so I'm confident that, you know, in his Princeton style or whatever offense he's going to run, um, he'll find uh, a good spot for Marvin. Because really, honestly, Marvin's not going to be your first, second, or even a lot of times, you know, third option on the floor. Like, he's going to be like, he's going to, most of his value is going to come from offensive rebounding or uh, or just, or just, you know, slashing, drawing a foul, um, making just enough jump shots to keep people honest. Like he's not, he's not going to be carrying the load like Ellaby will, or like some of the guys that we have coming in are more expected to do. Um, but yeah, this is, this is fucking fantastic. Like I'm, I'm so stoked. Um, this makes the team honestly a lot better. Like just having him on like back. Uh, fills a gap uh, that wasn't there, like that we didn't really have filled in a lot of different places, like you said, as a defensively um, in terms of uh, aggressive, you know, ag- aggressive offense and getting to the line. Yeah, this is this is an exciting pull. Um, it makes the starting five for next year um, that much better, and then in turn makes the bench that much better. So uh, just and just to have a guy who has a year of uh, Pac-12 experience under his belt is something that will be rare next year as well. So it's just nice to, it just it's, this is like excellent news, like way better news than I expected in uh, late June. <laughs> yeah, if if he hadn't come back, so here's here's sort of my projected starting five, and you know this is I think pretty fluid. Um, partially because there are so many new players and then partially because Kyle Smith makes his decisions on this sort of stuff based off of, uh, you know, the nerd ball system that we've, uh, sort of hashed and rehashed and rehashed, uh, the idea that, you know, how you perform in practice is how you are judged and that's what determines playing time. Right. So you get scored on the things that you do. Um, you know, so I, I think there's there's a little bit of guesswork here, but but I have a hard time believing Cannon's not one of the starters. And so if he is, my sort of my early thought about the starting five is that uh, Isaac Bonton, the the JUCO transfer, um, becomes the starting point guard. Cannon starting at uh, at the two, CJ Ellaby starting at the three, Dion James, uh, the grad chan- transfer starting at the four, and Jeff Pollard starting at the five. And that's a very small lineup because Dion James is only six six, but he really his skill skill set is really that of a, of a four. Uh, and then Pollard, obviously at six, nine is smallish for a center, but his skill set is, is that of a center. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how they do that. He does have some nice pieces. He can mix and match just a little bit. Um, just because, you know, you got, uh, Markovetsky coming off the bench. Uh, you know, he's a seven footer, uh, you know, you got some other guys you can kind of mix in there, you know, Koontz, you could mix in at, uh, at a forward spot. Um, you know, you, so, so there's some, some pieces he can move around there, but kind of to what I, what I was kind of trying to, to point out was, it was kind of what you're saying is if he hadn't come back, um, you're looking at maybe something like, you know, Bonton playing the two and then maybe like Gervais Robinson starting at point guard, or maybe you've got Bonton starting at point guard, Ellaby sliding over to shooting guard, and then maybe a small forward of like, you know, Darren Henson or, or, or Koontz or, or somebody like that. Um, I, I just think the setup is, is a lot nicer and a lot smoother. You got a nice little lineup with Bonton, Cannon and Ellaby on the perimeter. Uh, that, 
facilitates uh, Smith's desire to have two ball handlers because you'll have Bonten and Ellaby. Cannon's not really a ball handler, but but those two guys can certainly handle it. Uh, Cannon can work off the ball a little bit uh, within that you know modified Princeton that that Kyle Smith runs. Uh, James is is certainly a serviceable offensive player. Um, and then you've got Pollard to kind of work in the high post and, and set screens and things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's just, you know, it's sort of like when you think about baseball and you've got five starters and you lose like your number three starter, it's like, you don't normally think of, oh man, we've lost the number three starter. That guy was so great. It's kind of more like, well, you know, now who's your fifth starter, right? Some guy who doesn't belong in a major league rotation. Um, not that necessarily that's an apples to apples comparison, but when you take, when you took cannon off that roster, you know, it was it was pretty tough for Smith to come up with a guy that was going to be able to replace that. And through recruiting, he really didn't find a guy who could replace that. And so getting Cannon back uh, maybe is as big of a recruiting win um, as he could have had. Yeah. And um, so, hooray, Marvin Cannon. Happy to have you back. Um, two more years. Two more years. Two, two more, more years. years. Yeah, yeah. So, dunks, um, blocks, and all that good stuff. Yeah, honestly, he's an exciting player. He's exciting he to watch, he's and fun. it's nice. It's nice to have players like like he he provided most of the you know him and you know Franks occasionally and Ellaby occasionally like provided most of the exciting moments in a otherwise awful season. Never uh, underestimate season. the value of fun. Yeah. Hey, that's why you know everyone loved the tip dunks. That's right. From Marcus Capers, man. Like, that's right. <laughs> Marcus Even Capers. though he wasn't a very good player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he hit two jumpers against St. Mary's, so. Yeah, that one time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so uh, while we're on topic of basketball, uh, we can talk about the fact that um, Kyle Smith has secured his first commitment for the 2021. 2021! <laughs> so we're, we currently, you know, Marvin Cannon's coming back. You know, technically, kind of consider him a, in the 2019 class since he was going to transfer, and and it seemed like by all they to the point where they took him off the roster. Like they thought, yeah, he was gone. no, he was um, off the roster. Listen, my source told me like he's he's gone, like he was yeah. done. So yeah, so but so but he's back. So 2020 2019 class, as far as I'm concerned, um, but yeah, 2021. So not not next year's class. The year but after. the year after. So he he wouldn't play for WSU. He's not, I mean, if he, you know, eventually signs, it's, of course, you know, uh, he, he could be like Clay Thompson and just stay with the commitment for that many years. And and uh, um, and so he wouldn't be playing until uh, October of 2021. Uh, you wouldn't see him in a basketball game so for WSU. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, don't. Don't get too excited here. But Jeff, uh, one thing that uh, stuck out to me that I said, um, truthfully, um, this is podcast versus everyone. Um, you shouldn't expect anything less. Um, I did very little research on this guy. But Jeff, uh, of course, wrote a post for Kook Center on his commitment. Um, so had to do research because we have high standards at Kook Center, unlike at podcast versus everyone. Um, Jeff, the thing that you uh, said um on our Kook Center Slack is that he could, he could have played for <laughs> WSU last season. Yeah. 
that that might have been a little bit of an exaggeration, but um, no, he's so basically his deal is this: uh, he's a six foot seven, two hundred forty ish pound forward, um, and he's a sophomore, as you mentioned, um, but very athletic. Uh, you know, his, he, there's not a lot of highlights out there on him. He's not rated yet. Like he doesn't have any stars. So yeah, sophomores you know, so, generally are. Yeah, no. Unless they're like Zion Williamson. Yeah. I mean, unless you're like a top or even team, Zion Williamson wasn't 25 that. kid. Yeah. So, um, you know, so not rated by the recruiting services yet, but, um, extremely athletic kid. Um, the, the limited video that's out there on him. Uh, is is pretty impressive. Um, obviously, it's it's sort of if you go to the Coug Center and read our story, um, you know, it's basically just clips from from Twitter that that he had uh, retweeted. By the way, the the kid's name is. Hold on, let me. I want to make sure to get it right here. Nathan Rollins, and I I don't know how to pronounce the the second half of his last name, but I'm gonna guess on Kabongi. Um, so Seems you know, pretty, pretty good. Yeah. So Nathan Rollins Kabongi, or maybe we're just going to call him Kabonj. NRK short, maybe Kabange. I don't know. Somebody's going to have to make sure to... NRK doesn't have some terrible. I'm going to look up NRK. That's true. You better look up NRK stuff. while I'm talking. So, okay. So, um, you know, he, he's a kid who is, like I said, extremely athletic. He actually does have a profile on 24 seven as a football player. So he's a, he's apparently a defensive end, uh, for his team too. He goes to Thomas Jefferson high school in Portland. Um, but yeah, the, the clips that he put up on his, his timeline that I put into my story, um, some dunks, some blocks, uh, just really athletic. And, and you would not guess that he's a sophomore from looking at him. Um, already pretty strong, uh, already pretty good with his feet. Um, I would guess that his, his best basketball is far ahead of him. So, so that's all the good news. You did mention like if he stays, committed so kind of here's the deal uh he picked up his first division one offer about six weeks ago from portland state he picked up his second division one offer sometime in the last couple weeks from wazoo took an unofficial up to pullman loved it decided to commit so you know we'll see we'll see is the very first kid in the 2021 class from oregon to commit so like that's yeah that's that like uh yeah, um, by the way, um, NRK, the very first thing that comes up, uh, an abbreviation of the Norwegian Norse Riskringkasting AS, generally <laughs> expressed in English as the Norwegian Broadcasting Corporation. Oh, well, it's the, it's, that's it's, not too bad. It's the Norwegian government-owned radio and television public broadcasting oh. company. Well, see, so that's uh, not that's that's not offensive. That's far from offensive. So the, the closest, you know, the closest would be like PBS here, yeah. but that's not government owned. It's government funded. But right. Um, Despite what the Republicans want you to believe. Anyhow. But uh, but uh, but yeah. So you know that it may, or maybe it's just straight up like basic like access might be. channel. That would be funny. <laughs> Let's do no research and assume that's what yeah, like Wayne's World type shows. Are All right, coming. so now his new his new nickname already is That'd Public be... Access. We're just gonna call him Public Access. It's like shows <laughs> about it's just shows about like guys like cross country skiing to work. Yeah. And they're giving you tips on your best your your the best routes and cross right. country skiing to work <laughs> and the best waxes to use, um, the best goggles. I don't know. I've 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 went cross country skiing like once or twice. I I've, I've, yeah. wa- I've 
tapped out all my knowledge there. So yeah. I can't I can't go with that bit anymore. Um, but uh, but yeah. But so, I, um, I will say I will say this that I think that the significant part here. Look, I, I, listen. If the kid doesn't stay committed, whatever. I mean, I I get it. You know, like I like we've we've established. I work with teenagers all day. Uh, they change their minds all the time. So I I get it. But I think that the the bigger deal is that. Um, the kid took an unofficial visit up to Pullman and Smith was able to sell him on his vision of the program. And yeah. and this is a kid who I'm telling you, if you go watch the highlights, I mean, this is not, this is not Tony Bennett getting a commitment from Nick Witherell. Like th- this is not that, I mean, this kid can play. Um, he's clearly got, uh, you know, the athleticism that's, you know, that's required. And, and look, I haven't watched him play in a full basketball game, so I'm not going to I'm not going to make any grand sweeping judgments about what what he actually can and can't do on a basketball court. But the highlights are such that that they suggest that um, this is a kid with a lot of potential. Um, it's a kid that was who obviously felt like they needed to get in early on. Um, which I think is, you know, honestly something you need to do if you're going to be the coach of Washington State. You know, you better get in on a guy early, you better offer him early, um, and then you better just, you know, like stay on him and, and hope that, you know, the the commitment to the recruiting pays off. And and I think that's something that you learn, you know, when you're the coach at St. Mary's or, you know, an assistant coach at St. Mary's, when you're the head coach at Columbia, um, when you're the head coach at uh, at San Francisco, you know, it's kind of how you have to do business. You know, if you're going to sneak in and get some of those guys, you got to get on them early and you got to be on them all the time and hope that they want to be with you as opposed and be maybe a stud with you as opposed to being, you know, the the ninth guy for somebody else who kind of maybe doesn't want them as much as you do. So um, even if he doesn't stick. I think that says a lot about what Smith was able to do to convince him um, to show him what his program is all about. And and I think when you look at this recruiting class, the current one, it's the same deal. You just kind of go, look, I mean, this guy had a couple of months to put this together. Uh, For the most part, these are not guys he was recruiting while he was at San Francisco. You know, most of these guys are kids who, um, you know, he was, he was sort of picking up the phone and working the phones and seeing who could, who he could land. And, um, I, I think you can look at this class and say, and obviously it's greater in number than anything Kent signed other than his first class. Uh, but I think just when you look at the overall quality, I think it's, it's certainly higher quality than anything Kent put together and he did it in a couple months. So, um, and, and I will say from talking to Smith and then, you know, many of you who listen to the podcast have obviously listened to Smith talk. He really, he really is the real deal. It's really that genuine. His enthusiasm is infectious and it's not a fake enthusiasm. Like he, he truly, truly, truly. Um, it's genuine. It's not like the fake enthusiasm of the previous coach, you know, who is, you know, one of our authors, PJ Kendall likes to refer to as the, the snake oil salesman, right? Like Kent, Kent was like that. Um, with Smith, you just get a sense that he is just that fired up about everything. Um, and it's, it's hard not to want to get on the bus with him and go wherever he's going. And, and I think that's, uh, I think these recruits are showing that as well. Absolutely. Um, so, Jeff, what I should have been doing while you were talking was looking up more um, more on Nathan Rollins Kibongi, but instead I've been looking at more on um, NRK. The, uh, <laughs> so, do you think uh, Nathan can be as dynamic as the original NRK, which is basically a combination of NPR and PBS? They do radio and television. And they've been doing it since 1933. 
like they're just and you know they switch to digital radio doing like they're just they, i mean they're they're a powerhouse um in norwegian nor norway <laughs> norwegian way <laughs> they're a powerhouse in norwegian in norwegian well yeah, in, I mean, in the if, language if of norwegian they are a powerhouse that is true uh, I mean, if they actually, are I physically they are strong physically and they strong. dunk on people, then yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would hope they dunk on some folks sometimes. I don't know what Norwegian politics is like. Yeah, or but, what uh, the uh, what the colloquial expression for dunk on is in Norwegian. But, but but what I'm saying is, he's got a lot to live up to if we're going to give him the NRK nickname. Yeah, he really does. But I, I'm confident that he can develop into that kind of a into that kind of a uh, of a force for sure random question jeff yeah uh so sorry text <laughs> i was like my, i was like is text, the question forthcoming text question from my significant other about yeah. how the bags came yet yeah um because you know she has to have something to wear to her conference tomorrow Uh-oh. um they have not uh by the way um uh so nrk being both the government-owned, with three national TV channels, three national radio channels in Nor- Norway, in Norwegia. How many employees do you think they have Ooh. as of 2017? Okay. So say that again. How many what? Three national TV channels, three okay. national radio channels. How many employees do you think they have? 500. I thought you were going to go way over. Am I close? Oh, those are... Oh, I see my bags. Those are my bags. Oh, the bags are here. Those are mine. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is live Craig radio. Powers. Sorry, did no one answer at the room? Sorry, this is great podcasting. This is a great podcast right here. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I've signed something. Uh, this is fantastic. I don't know. Should I tell a joke or something? Sign. Print. Oh wait, let me see. I'm I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't know. I could tell a dad joke. All right, thank you so much. Book. Where's my dad joke book? Okay, hold on. While we're waiting for Craig, I'm gonna tell a dad joke. Here we go. My my wife got me a dad joke book for Christmas. What did the dad say when the sink was full of dirty plates? Oh. Dishes, real mess. God. <laughs> what happened at the emotional wedding? Uh, 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 cake, uh, cake was in tears. Get it? Tears. Damn it, Jeff. You know what the the most. Why so did, wait, 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 wait. One more. Why did the foul mouthed nun get expelled? I don't know. Because of her dirty habit. Wait, but but what what would she get expelled? You mean excommunicated? Yeah, whatever. Expelled from the whatever just don't craig don't overthink it why does waldo wear a striped shirt i don't know because he because he's skinny and instead of wanting to be thinned out he wants to be widened because he doesn't want to be spotted okay that's enough (laughs) so all right back to podcasting we have have clothes got your bags underwear Good. Most Alaska is spared for buying you a thousand dollar tailored suit. Yeah, because I do have to go to a wedding, and That's I right. definitely would have went that route. 
Not the not the two hundred dollar no. express suit. No, no. Went you would not to... have gotten a men's warehouse. No, no. Yeah, nope. we, that should no. This is this was a that would have it, even though my friend's wedding is like business casual, it would have suddenly <laughs> become uh, it would have suddenly become like white tie. I, I, I'd have to get like no, not white tie, but like <laughs> no. Speaking of white tie, we could talk about that. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, we could talk about that. But it's one of the least interesting things. So one of the most important things is. Um, I bought a, a, a bunch of beers um, from a brewery in, uh, uh, called Casa Agria Specialty Ales in California. Uh, they made, they've made different um, beers specifically for people they know or people that work for the brewery three different times called wedding saisons, and they each have different fruits. And they uh, had actually reproduced them and sold them commercially. Um, so when friends get married now, I like to give them. A wet, one of the wedding saisons that I have, um, and so I was like kind of worried that <laughs> that uh, wedding saison because uh, that was the one thing that I could not replace. Right. Um, and uh, so, yeah, um, just making sure that the uh, old SO doesn't want me to bring things up right now. Okay, so I'll I'll read the pocket. This is live podcasting. Perfect. Are you podcasting? B is finally asleep, so no need to come in any earlier than necessary. Basically, she's saying, stay the fuck away. She stay like, away. Don't wake her up. <laughs> don't you dare wake up the kid. <laughs> Please, stay downstairs and drink all night. Just don't wake the kid up. <laughs> Find a hooker if you need to. Just don't come up here. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so uh, that was one of our better segments. Uh, yeah. And by the way, the uh, WSU recruiting news is not done. We got yes. more good recruiting we news. We still have another WSU thing. I know. That's why, like, I wish it would have come, like, the bags would have come a little bit later. Yeah. But, but anyways, it's bad so, timing, Alaska. So, very, very good news in the football in the football realm. Um, the Cougs landed a this-year commitment, like, eligible to play immediately, um, from dion mcintosh uh not a commitment just signed straight up signed right or yeah whatever i mean he should be signing um, yeah, i'm sure he signed financial aid paperwork that yeah. nobody knew about and then uh um you know and then he showed up to for summer classes so yeah so yeah he's he's on campus he's he, he'll be ready to go for fall you know fall, they call it fall campus in august but whatever um but uh but yeah so dion mcintosh um Former Notre Dame guy, actually played for Notre Dame, uh, had sig- sig- significant playing time um, in 2017. Uh, spent last year at a community college, uh, um, and now he is at WSU um, in a position, really the one position that WSU was lacking above all else despite having one of its best players as the top position but at running back um obviously uh max borgie at the top is stellar uh but really after that you had some freshmen coming in and you had a converted linebacker in cole dubots who as fun as he was to watch at the spring game i think we all knew wasn't a, a full season solution but jeff yeah so um what are your impressions uh, out, out, outside of uh, obviously needed depth? Uh, but uh, what else on this uh, Macintosh kid? I think he's going to be, I think he's awesome. 
Um, I don't know why he was still available. Yeah, that seems um, good. Yeah, yeah, so my guess is, you know, I, I mean, look, it, it's all speculation. It's just a podcast. That's that's sort of how we roll, right? Um, Speculator die, baby. Yeah, I mean, given that it, most most junior college kids will sign early. Uh, many of them will enroll uh, in second semester, uh, and and so for a kid who was at Notre Dame for two years, who then spent a year at a junior college, um, you would think he would have pretty easily had that AA uh, midway yeah. through the year. <laughs> like you would think that that's probably what happened would happen. Um, well, you think yet, it like. You think you would have had at least 24 credits, you know, like 12 a semester from Notre Dame, but you, you would think, think. Even... <laughs> you would think <laughs> so. Yeah. So you would think that would be the case. Um, now, granted, he was removed from the team uh, in early January of 2018. So. I mean, so there's you didn't a, get that second semester. Yeah, there's a chance, and, and I don't know if I, you know, I have no idea if Notre Dame is on quarters or semesters. So you know, whatever. I mean, it, there's a chance that he missed one, maybe even. I'm gonna two, find out. He might have missed if they were on quarters. He might have missed two quarters. He might have missed two quarters uh, in Notre Dame if he had left right at that point. So who knows? But uh, the point is that you would think that after a redshirt year at Notre Dame, plus uh, plus at least one summer, plus at least one quarter. Um, that he would have been able to then after one or two quarters or a semester. At, so Notre Dame is definitely on semesters. Okay. Because they, they, so, they go by spring, summer, and fall. So Okay. So right. there you go. So so after a, a redshirt year and at least one semester plus another semester and or quarter at junior college, you would think that that would have been enough for an associate's. Right. right. Um, so just sort of like reading all of that, I would guess maybe we're dealing with a kid who was sort of struggling to get his academics fully in order, um, which is sort of crazy considering he was at Notre Dame. But, um, you know, as we know, football players can can sort of make all sorts of miracles happen. So uh, and he was a kid who didn't have any reported offers uh, in this recruiting cycle, which was extremely strange considering he ran for almost 1200 yards on one of the better community college football teams in the country and was a second team junior college all American. So something wasn't quite adding up there, um, for him to fly under the radar. I like, mean, that. yeah, as, uh, his one season at Notre Dame in seven games, he, you know, yeah. five yards of carry, really uh, good. 500 yards, like seven touchdowns. Like he was a, he was a, he was a, like seven touchdowns in seven games. Like he was, he was an essential. He was a core piece of what they were doing. So. Yep. Yep. He. Uh, I guess the way it went down, just from, uh, you know, reading up on um, Notre Dame coverage at the time, it seems like they just they kind of had some injuries, and he stepped into an opportunity and and played really great. So, um, and he had a huge game against North Carolina. Now North Carolina wasn't you know, really all that good, but still, you know, he had a hundred and some yards on like 12 carries or something like that and a couple touchdowns. So uh, including a couple of the the runs that we highlighted in our story. So, you know, definitely talented, definitely can play at this level. Um, you know, he's obviously going to be behind Borgie, which, you know, is, is fine, but, you know, instead of, you know, thinking of Max Borgie potentially getting injured because he is overstressed because you're, you know, your, your next best option is cool. Cause that's what really we were looking at, right? You know, if your next best option is Cole Dubot's converted linebacker, 
or Jameer Thomas, true freshman, or uh, Jovensley Bazile, true freshman, uh, chances are good that Borgie was going to play more than he probably should. Um, and so what this does is this definitely lets you feel comfortable and say, okay, look, you know, Borgie doesn't have to play, you know, three quarters of the snaps. Um, you know, he can go back. We can go to a situation like we had, you know, last year and, and you know, last year in particular where, you know, James Williams was getting about two thirds of the snaps or 60% of the snaps. And, and the second guy was getting the other, you know, 33 to 40%. And, um, this guy certainly looks capable, of, of playing that that one third to forty percent of the snaps that would be available for the backup, I, it's exciting. He's a, I mean, he's you know there's there's a play against uh, North Carolina where you know he takes on a safety one on one and uh, it just makes him whiff. You know, makes you feel pretty good. So uh, I'm excited. This is this is a huge 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 uh, huge addition to the team. Presuming you know, whatever it was that, that kept him from being highly recruited, um, you know, out of junior college doesn't pop up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, guys that have made multiple moves in their career, you, you always kind of have to keep that in mind uh, and, you know, just hope for the best. Uh, but this is just sorely needed running back depth. Otherwise, we were having true freshmen or Cole Dubots playing – like a significant number of snaps next year and yep. to, and to have a guy who is high level FBS, um, uh, proven and, uh, you know, ha- has the, uh, and he's a senior and he, you know, has the body to withstand it. And, and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's great to have. And, um, hopefully he can, you know, be as solid as he has been in his other stops and um that'll be a great addition and and um honestly expecting a a bit of a jump from max given that he was a true freshman and a very young true freshman um we could have just as good a running back play overall this year as we had last year so um and uh, like you said in your um article there aren't a lot of glaring deficiencies on this team coming up this year, which I don't know how many WSU teams you've ever gone into your life saying that, but they really aren't. Um, obviously, there's a question at quarterback, but I think we're pretty confident that any of the three guys that it might be are probably going to be fine, and um, maybe not Gardner Minshew, but but just fine. Um, and uh, uh, But most of the other positions, you know, uh, we, we feel pretty good about, especially on offense, uh, the offense. Now this just makes an offense that where we thought, you know, had almost endless weapons is you just added in another one uh, for whoever's going to play quarterback. So it's, it's, it's pretty exciting. And I think there's actually a pretty reasonable chance that Borgie has a bigger year than, than Williams had last year. Um, you know, he's, uh, I don't know, by some metrics you could look at and say, you know, Borgie already had a better year last year than Williams just for, just with fewer touches. Um, I I think it's not a stretch to say that Borgie was the better runner. Um, you know, Williams was, was maybe the better pass catcher and, and more elusive in the open field. Uh, but just as a running back, I, I think, you know, I think, it seemed like Borgie was pretty clearly the better runner. So um, I think there's a chance that that we could end up getting more production, particularly out of the running game this year uh, with those two guys than what we got with the combination of, 
you know, junior level Williams plus freshman Borgie. I, I think that sophomore Borgie plus, uh, you know, redshirt junior, former Notre Dame running back, uh, Dion McIntosh. I think there's, I don't know, like it's easy to be optimistic this time of year, right? And be like, oh, we could be better. But, but I, I really do believe that. I really do think that uh, with the the improvement that you mentioned with Borgie plus uh, what McIntosh brings to the table, I, I think that it's not uh, totally crazy to think that uh, that the running attack, that the running backs uh, could be even more of a position of strength this year than they were last year. So uh, just to confirm, so is does he he comes in as a with two years of eligibility or is yeah it he'll have two years of eligibility so he redshirted for a year at Notre Dame played for a year and then played his uh, redshirt sophomore year last year at the junior college so yeah, yeah he's got two two years to play too given, yeah given that our our next level of running backs are uh, true freshmen that's huge um, to have you know knowing Borgie like. I don't think Borgie's bounced into the NFL after his sophomore season, and then because uh, he's just because of his size, honestly, and and yep. um, and uh, and just to know that that we can have those two for the next two years if this works out, it, it makes you feel a hell of a lot better about that position, which WSC has had a lot of bad luck with in terms of people transferring, and you know after being so unbelievably stacked there two years ago, um, to being this year like. We thought it was just gonna be Max and whoever else. Like it's pretty great, and uh, I I don't know that this optimism. I it just it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's you gotta at some point you gotta embrace it, right? Yeah. Because it's like, I mean, we just read the you know the Bill Connolly from from SB Nation did his preview. I mean, we just read that, and you know, he talked about how uh, you know the program has has improved. Um, via his ranking system for four consecutive years, which is really, really unusual. Um, almost no program does that. Uh, you know, so at some point you just sort of have to embrace the magic of Mike Leach and just say, you know, this is, this is sort of the deal. I mean, I know there's a point at which they're not necessarily there's a ceiling, right. there's a ceiling, but, but man, you know, it's, it's when it comes to just being optimistic and thinking, man, you know, could, could this be better? I mean, I don't know. Like, could the offense be better? It could. You know, I really well, think yeah, it definitely. could. Well, yeah, definitely. It could be you better. Know? If you look at some of his Texas Tech teams, we've, we've yeah. not touched that level yet. And if Gabrud is the quarterback. We've not touched um, Graham Harrell. Yeah. No, yet. we haven't. We, we, well, let me, re, let, me, let me say we did actually briefly. Uh, and that was when Halliday, Halliday's senior season. Yeah. We we were doing That's that true. kind of but that the kind of was, The defense yeah. was of course the now, defense was horrendous. But the defense has been since 2015. The defense has since Alex Grinch came on, and then continuing with Tracy Clay's, the defense has been at the very least average, <laughs> and so uh, or slightly below at times. Um, right. But but not harmfully bad. Right. You know, like so. Right. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think probably he's had some better defenses at WSU than he ever had at Texas Tech, and it, whatever Connolly's numbers say, I, given the what they're facing now, I don't. You know, I sometimes I wonder on his adjustments on later years and whatever. But that's a conversation for a different day. I, I'll give this um, Bills. Um, uh, if you haven't read them, he does a multi-thousand word preview for every single team in the FCS. <laughs> and it every is impressive. Single team. 
and the level of detail that he goes into. Like, so if you're reading WSC1 and he does not mention Lamont McDougall, which is a pretty glaring error. Yeah. But I will say, and Jeff, you might confirm this as well. Like, we've both written written mass previews for, like, I've, you know, for College Basketball Prospectus and ESPN, I've previewed, like, 30 different teams multiple times. And when you're doing that, like, and Connolly's, what is it, 128 teams or something now? I don't, what is it at? Where we're it's, at? Uh, it's, it's more than that, I think, isn't yeah. it? So he's doing that, every single team, down to, like, Texas State and shit like that. Like, and, uh, and he, uh, but I, I know um, those uh, kind of traditional transfers, those sit-out-of-you transfers that seem weird now, like, because we have the grad transfers so often, those are the easy ones to miss and to forget about or not think about, or they're really hard to kind of because they've sat out that year and because you've seen guys sit out a year and have a really hard time adjusting in that year back um it's hard to kind of assign any significance either way to their addition and so um either it's also really easy to forget about them because when you're writing these previews you're looking at the guys that are coming back and you're looking at the recruits that are coming in and if you're looking at, you know, the, the most recent recruiting class, the guys that transferred in the year before are not on that. So, like, it, it can be something you can miss. Jeff just opened another beer. Hell That's, yes, I did. Um, but, yeah, it would be something you can miss, and um, I, don't, I don't blame him. Um, I think those previews are excellent. Uh, it's I, amazing he doesn't miss more. Yeah, I... Like, I to so write so, with the level of detail that he does. And, and look, you and I were doing basketball. Yeah. Like, we only got to keep track yeah. of, like, 13 12, guys. 12 or 13 guys. Well, <laughs> and he's got to keep track of... Doing, it was, like, eight. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it's like, you know, this guy, you know, he's doing all the teams. All the teams. And we were doing, like, a couple of conferences, right? He's doing all the teams, 85 scholarship players, plus walk-ons. And because as we know, some schools actually use walk-ons. Um, it, it's actually really remarkable. He doesn't miss more. So it's, I, I, you know, he is really the only, um, national writer I've ever read who is like, when he does these previews, I think to myself, like, man, this is as good as a local writer could have done. Like, oh, yeah, we, really like, does do a great job. Like, like we like if if I was to write the preview, like I I read it and I I usually think of that like if I was to write it, like given my own knowledge, like you it's you find little things but like overall you're like yeah this is paints a great picture. Obviously it's very like heavily tilted towards his own system, but honestly sure. like there's no one but, that really has a system like he does so it's like. You got to like, no one takes into account a lot of the things that he does. So, um, yeah. And his level of detail, which you and I have, you know, worked with him and, 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 and whatnot and, or interacted with him for many years. And we know that he is like his level of attention to detail and his obsession is kind of unmatched. And, 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 and that's why he, you know, does what he does. And he's been able to make a career out of what he's doing. 
without being like a guy that has like a background in mathematics or anything like that um to be kind of one of the foremost uh uh folks on you know advanced stats and college football and all that so it's very impressive and, and his just the I, I i can't imagine like yeah you know you're gonna write two thousand words on alabama but you're also writing 2,000 words on Texas State, and you're also writing 2,000, like, on whoever else, you know? Right. Like, every Sunbelt team, you're writing 2,000 words on them. Every what? Like, right. And can we just be team. honest? Like, n- neither of us would want to do that. No. <laughs> like, that sounds like, It's and not I, even just that he it does is. it. It's like, who else would want to do that? And, and I guarantee that, like, there's a 1,000 moments every year when he's like i didn't i don't have to do this because how many people read the texas state preview right i'm sorry texas state i'm harping on you but you're one of the newest teams in division one that's why i do that you're so mean i know ut fine utsa all all those texas teams what's it what is the newest team i'm not even sure i want to pick on them Appalachian State's newer than Texas State, so but Appalachian State was cool because they beat Michigan. So yeah, they're actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, newest FBS football team. So this will be the last uh, sports thing we do. Um, I just like that. You know what comes up on Google is just random. It says this is a list. Of, it just says Boise State, and I'm like, that's not true at all. <laughs> that is like, clearly like, not accurate. <laughs> but we should tell. We should call them that. Newest team. I'm just gonna control F 2019. No one joined this year. Uh, control F 2018. Control F 2017. All right, we got Liberty. Ugh. Gross. Gross. We should have picked on Liberty. Yeah, that's all right. We can come back to that later. Oh, and and speaking, of, well, actually, losing a team this year in the Idaho Vandals. He did not have to write an Idaho Vandals piece this year, or was that last year? No, they were in Big Sky last year. Yeah. Yeah. So he he doesn't have to write Idaho, Idaho Vandals, which is probably sad for him because you I D A H O or whatever. Um, but yeah, so Jeff, uh, we had stuff to talk about again. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I thought we were going to do like a short podcast because I'm like podcasting from a hotel lobby. <laughs> Here we are. We're already just, 70 minutes deep. I don't know. Let's just keep it going. I don't give a shit. We, we had an itinerary and we, we got to stick did. to it. We did. What else so is got, left? So I had, a, I had a prompt for you. Yeah. And so as the listeners know, I am currently visiting Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I've taken the last two days, used my hard-earned paid time off the last two days to be here. I am working tomorrow and Thursday, um, and then taking Friday off to travel to Chicago for a wedding. So took two days off in Indianapolis. And uh, so what the question I had for you, and that has nothing to do with what I just said, obviously, to anyone who may be listening in this lobby. Um, <laughs> what's the least exciting city you've taken 
time, like your paid time off or even unpaid time off to, to like travel and like be in. Yeah, this is, this is hard as an adult because, well, number one, I don't, I don't travel much. Number two, if I do travel, we're usually really, really careful about, you know, making sure we're going someplace that, uh, that we actually want to be. Yeah. You know, that we're gonna, we're, we're, we're actually going to want to be there. Um, you know, I don't know, like the one that comes to mind when, when I was a, so when I was a kid, um, I do remember traveling to Omaha, Nebraska for a baseball tournament. Um, that was and not pretty, for the college world series. That was, yes, that was pretty <laughs> not exciting. Um, I will say that, that that was, that was pretty not exciting, not a real exciting city. Um, I don't know. Like when I was in college, uh, we went to, uh, how old were you when you went to Omaha? I was 12. I was 12. So, um, Jeff, all I, a little baller. I, yeah, I mean, I was, it was an all-star team. I was, I was, I was an okay baseball player when I was younger. So didn't last that long, but you how know, close it was like, did you ever get close to the little league world series? <laughs> no, no, we were playing in some off brand world series. It was called the CABA world series, the continental association of amateur baseball Associate or something. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, that's the one I follow. I yeah. Like 100%. Yeah. So it, here's what I remember. Here's what I remember. So I was on this all-star team and we played in a, in an all-star tournament, which determined, um, you know, further sort of national level stuff. Um, I remember we took second place. And so first place got to go to some sort of, uh, we, we, we played in pony league at that time. If anybody's ever heard of pony yeah. league. Yeah. Um, we played in Pony League, so I think the winner of the tournament got to go to the Pony League World Series, and then the um, second place was us, and they were like, sorry, you're in second place, but hey, here's this other sort of random tournament in Nebraska you can go to if you want to, so so that's what we did. We well, and Nebraska. I think, like, given that you're at 12, and I like, feel like just staying in a hotel is cool when you're 12. It is. And, oh, it and was The trip was like, awesome. But but like, just knowing at twelve that the city sucks, like it's pretty bad. I just remember thinking like, this place is like I don't know like not like there was no nightlife or anything, but you're just like, you know, Seattle is very beautiful and Omaha is not beautiful. (laughs) And then uh, we also drove. So my dad grew up in uh, in Iowa, just across the border. Uh, from Nebraska. And so we actually got up one morning when we didn't have any games and my dad drove me to these three tiny towns. Like, and I do mean tiny towns that he grew up in, uh, when he was much, much younger. And, uh, I just, the thing I remember the most about it was when people say like there is corn in the Midwest. Like I just remember driving for hundreds of miles and not seeing really anything but corn. And, and just like these highways that were like straight, like, 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 well, like, uh, when you go into straight Pullman, and flat. Right? yeah, straight and flat, you know, when you go into Pullman, there is one stretch, you know, between, uh, you know, like Royal city and Othello that's pretty straight. Right. You know? And so it's like, you know, it's just straight, straight for a while, but it's like, 
this is like for like 150 miles straight. Anyway, it just, I was like, this is the most boring. <laughs> like the landscape was boring. Everything was hot. Yeah, coming it's from the like, Northwest. You're like, yeah. Where are the mountains? I know. This? 12 year old kid. I'm like, this is lame, man. What the heck? So anyway, I was, I was probably snotty and I'd probably like it better now. So if anybody's from Omaha, I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm sorry if I've offended you. My 12 year old self was not impressed. I'm sure I would be now that I'm 40. What about as an adult? I, I'm as an adult. Oh, like I said, that's uh, that's a tough one. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of a well, like I don't know. I've definitely stayed in Ellensburg. <laughs> Ellensburg is not very exciting. Well, uh, what yeah, yeah. So the reason was I was there for uh, to teach at a uh, um, teach at a at a journalism camp. So and you weren't getting paid or like you I, had to take I, days off to do I, this? No, I, I can't remember if I got paid or not. I don't think I did. I think it's mostly just a volunteer deal. Um, or maybe I did get paid a small amount, whatever it was, it was, it was a pretty small amount, but what you do is you go and it's, it's fun. Cause you spend, you know, four days in August, uh, teaching kids who really want to be there, really want to learn about journalism. Um, and then the other thing is you get to connect with, uh, other journalism advisors. I got to, in fact, actually it was one of the coolest things of my, of my teaching career. Um, I got to co-teach the course on, uh, editorial leadership with the guy who was my journalism teacher in high school. His name is Vince DeMiro. Uh, one of my heroes, one of my mentors, um, and a great friend even to today. Uh, he's the one who encouraged me to be a teacher. So um, getting to teach a class with him was honestly one of the coolest things I've ever gotten to do. So, uh, so but yeah, with Omaha, not much though. going on in Ellensburg. So we'll go we'll go with Omaha. Although Ellensburg does have the Tav, which is a nice a nice gathering location and. Um, as we've mentioned before, location of Iron Horse Brewing. So, anyway. Absolutely. What about you? You've traveled lots of places. So, yes, I have. Um, I've been to many, many of the major cities in the U.S. Um, I think going international, um, probably the least exciting city I went to is probably Calgary. But just because it was Canada and, like, a city of, like, almost a million people, it was, like, at least somewhat interesting, like, what the hell's going on up there? Like, why is that large of a city so far north? Like, what the hell? Like, and so that there was interest about that, but you know, but um, I gotta say, like, so the, we're here in Indianapolis because my my partner Amanda has, has a conference uh, um, to go to, and I was already going to fly this week out to Chicago for um, a wedding, and so we were able to. You know, I was, the flight was roughly the same to fly in here and out of Chicago. And uh, and I was, you know, I someone had to watch the bee. So um, I got to say, like, neither of us were very excited about this. Like, I don't know what, like, what do I know about Indianapolis? Mostly uh, Wright Thompson wrote a great article about the NFL Combine, mostly the experience around it. Um, that right. was my most I know. And then when John Boyce, uh, when it was in the, the Super Bowl was here, like he made a, a joke about like the best restaurants in Indianapolis. And it was like Applebee's and stuff like that. And uh, and so, you know, I just you'd always think of Indianapolis as kind of the most basic and boring town. Like we're a big city in like the U.S. really like or Cleveland is up there, you know, like you know, you're thinking of like 
just like places that wouldn't be fun to visit and like Indianapolis is definitely on like the top of the list. Pretty much um, so, all those places you're talking about are all in the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. Just go to Chicago if you're gonna go to the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, but but also probably we us coastal elites maybe unfairly. Yeah. Um, ascribe coastal elites. Stereotypes upon people and their right. cities that they sometimes live up to. But anyway, so uh yeah, so um uh we were just not that excited and then the experience like the the flight coming out was fine until we landed and then so but i'll tell you when we got in when i was at the seattle airport you could tell that none of the baggage system was working none of the conveyor belts were running they were just like stacking bags up like i checked in my bag and it just piled it on to like and i was checking in the in in like the like the the uh like the premium line, like, you know, for like, you know, mileage plan, gold people and things like that. And there was still just like bag stack. Like it was the longest I've ever seen that line. And we're like, why is this so long? And it's because like they were having to take so long to move the bags out. And it was just, they're having to be interrupted a lot. And, and so I was just like, when I handed those bags over to her, and of course I had to, because I have beer in my bag. I can right. not check No chance. It. Yeah, um, and Amanda has a bag too big to check, so or to carry on. So uh, we had no choice. Um, but so when I handed those to her, I'm just like, I had this gut feeling, like I'm not gonna see these. Yeah, bags this is bad. Land. Yeah, this is not like when I, when when she has to walk through like five other bags to get to my bag. Like she had to come, like I couldn't set up on the conveyor belt to weigh. The weigher wasn't working. And she's like, oh, we're not weighing. I'm like, okay. And then she just, I, I, she has to like move a bunch of bags out of the way to get to mine just to put the tags on them. And I was like, usually they hand me the receipts and I just walk away because I'm like, oh yeah, it's fine. I'm putting the things on, it's whatever. Right. But this time I like watched her put the tags on the bag because I just didn't feel good about it. Yeah. Sure enough, sure enough we land. Um, it takes a long time for the bags to come out. You know, Alaska has a 20 minute guarantee. Uh, it was 35 minutes. I was already on the phone with them. Like, Hey, you know, it's because you know, it's Indianapolis. The only flight that Alaska has is a direct flight from Seattle and a direct flight back to Seattle. That's the only flights that Alaska does in Indianapolis. So, so they don't have a lot of staff there. And so they don't have like a baggage office or anything. And so we were just like, um, I remember I was on the, I was on the uh, phone with the, uh, the, uh, uh, the person, you know, with the 20 minute guarantee, uh, I was like, Oh, my miles, you know, it's been over 20 minutes. Cause you got like 2,500 miles if, you know, and so I was just like, well, my miles. And she's like, well, can you confirm to me that you see the thing? And so eventually this woman is coming around with like a pad doing the mileage, like giving us a mile. So I was like, Oh, I just hung out with I'm like, Oh, there's someone here. Oh, you don't have to worry about it. So, cause I was sitting there watching all the bags come out with her and then the bags stopped coming out and there was about 40 of us. There's still, uh-huh. you're like, you're all looking at each other like shit. Yeah. <laughs> like I've seen bags stop for like a couple minutes and then come back out. But after five, 10 minutes, I was just like, this is not, they're not here. 
and there was one Alaska representative left. You know, because all the ones at the dead, they all leave after that, like about an hour after that flight. We're over an hour after the flight at this point. So she's got like 40 angry people. Uh, one of the, there was one woman who turned out to be at the conference Amanda's at. She had her kids with her and she had checked her uh, uh, car seats. Oh, yeah. And so she never had a car seat. And so oh, you're no. sitting at the airport and you have to go to your hotel downtown. And you have your kid with you, and you're like, what the fuck do I do? Like, I, you just break the law. Like, I don't know if it's a law, but you just, like, risk it. Or you, uh, you know, take the bus or whatever, you know? And whatever, right. it was not fun for her. And that was, I was like, I'm so glad that we, you know, we do, like, gate check with our, our stuff. And we just carry it through the airport and then gate check it. And and but we just we just haven't had our bags until well y'all heard it, uh, which we went we, <laughs> just now. Yeah, so about what time was it? it? Was about about 30 hours after we landed. Um, so we we had the fun uh, job of going to the mall downtown here. Um, not that impressive of a mall, honestly, but like, but they had a Banana Republic, so Amanda could buy some work clothes. And I just bought like an outfit, even because I, all I had, you know, I had like the underwear I was wearing and the clothes I was wearing. Because um, I checked all the other ones, I was too trustworthy. And so uh, we got to spend our first moments in Minneapolis just shopping at a mall, just horrible, you know, um, like just one of my least favorite things to do ever in the entire world. Um, and, uh, and, 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 but I'll give it to B. She was a trooper through the whole thing. Like, we made her wait to get dinner because the, the mall closed at nine and we got there. We had like basically 45 minutes to like find shit. And so, and it always takes longer than you think it's going to. Um, cause I went to a couple stores before I was like, you know, I'm six foot five. Yeah, like, they don't have my size and things. Like ever, I felt, I saw one of the guys that came in that was on my flight. He's he, tall as me and a little broader, like muscular. And he comes in and asks him if Banana Republic, they have a 38 waist in anything. And I'm like, well, I've been looking at, you know, I was looking for 36, but usually when I hit the 36, that was the last end of the road. Like, and so, and I was just thinking, man, if, uh, if I hadn't lost all this weight, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to find anything anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so, so anyways, that was our first introduction. So we already weren't that excited. And then, and then that happens. And so we're just like, we don't even want to fucking be here. Like, this is bullshit. And, uh, so we were mad. And yeah. Amanda definitely is sending a big bill to Alaska for her outfit. Yeah. She intentionally did not look for things on sale. <laughs> like, she made sure to buy things that were not on sale. Yeah. Like, I, the things I bought were on sale. I, I just can't even, even though it was not my money I was spending, technically, I was like, uh, uh, that's just too much for some. I don't really want that much. <laughs> You're like, I just can't bring myself to spend that. You know what? Honestly, I, I will say this. So, I you listen, you, you know, you grew up as a child in fairly meager means. I think that's a fair yeah. characterization. Uh I did not grow up in super meager means, but we were definitely bargain hunters. And then 
sort of in reference to the, you know, to the story from earlier about, you know, Tristan and everything. Look, when you, when you're dealing with cancer in your family, there's very little money. And so you yeah. just sort of learn to, you, you, you know, I hear stories about, and I know a lot of these people are, are sort of leaving us now as they, as they die. Um, but depression era people yeah. and how they kind of handled money, right. Where it's like, you know, there, there are people who grew up in the depression who still, who never for the rest of their life would put any money in the bank, or they would at least keep a very sizable portion of it in a safe in their house. Right. Because they yeah. just, or their mattress or their mattress. Exactly. Cause they didn't trust it. Um, you know, I think when you go through sort of financial trauma at some point, um, it's hard to get those habits out where it's like, like even today, you know, like we we're doing fine now, you know, like I've got, you know, I'm, I've been teaching for 15 years. I've got a master's degree. Like I, I do just fine for a teacher. My wife's a teacher. She's got a master's degree. You know, we do pretty okay. Um, and still like, for example, if I were to go to the store, very rarely do I buy, um, a shirt that's full price. Like I just, I never buy, like, I buy my jeans at Costco. Like I just like, I can't like, I, I have a very, like the last, the last full price shirt I bought was actually the one I bought last week out at, uh, out at the Sounders match where I bought the well, that's, retro that's Sounders it. shirt. Yeah. I had not done that in, I don't know how long. That's the I exception for me like is things that I think are, I'm not going to be able to like wait and buy. Yeah. There's no way it's going to be on sale. Like right? even like the championship gear from like when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl when the yeah. Suns won MLS cup, I fucking waited like the you're next like, year. I bought it like a months. year later. Yeah. Like you're like, oh, maybe I didn't get the exact thing I wanted, but I, right. I'm, like, I know that they made too much. They always make too much of that shit. Right. And so, it's you know, be like, eventually, like I remember when the Seahawks uh, went to the Super Bowl and the first time when I was in college, I wait. I have. I still have the 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 hoodie. Uh, I like the NFC Champions hoodie because I didn't want like that. I, I don't like. I didn't want like Seahawks Super Bowl. I just wanted to be like NFC Champions. Right. Uh, but uh, I waited for that hoodie to go down from like sixty dollars to like nineteen dollars, and then I bought it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, I so yeah, I yeah. My, so it's it's hard to convince yourself you should pay like, full price for anything. Like, I love my hats. I buy. Yeah. I have a lot of expensive hats, uh, technically, but like expensive, like given you know, because new era hats are like with tax, always like thirty eight bucks. So. Yeah. And I, you know, I rarely find those on sale. So. Exactly. Uh, but, but it's uh, like for the things that we know, you don't have to pay full price for. It's like. Well, yeah, like I, I bought this. Even I'm, if it's somebody I'm, else's I'm money, wearing, it's I'm like, wearing them. I'm wearing them right now because I had to. But, but even like uh, this pair of chinos I bought from Banana Republic. I remember I caught I, I caught a pair of chinos first, and I was like, oh, these will probably work. They're like 120 bucks. I'm like, yeah, fuck that. And so I went and I found a different table with a different, apparently different kind of chino, and it was like 89 dollars, but it was like 50 percent off. And I'm like, all right. Like, if I was in need of a pair of chinos, this is probably a pair that I would buy. Yeah. And then I just bought, like, the most basic, like, black shirt that they had. And it was, like, on sale. And and then, but Amanda was, like, in full vengeance mode. <laughs> and plus, I, it was much more important for her. She had to buy, like, fucking, you know, business clothes. Yeah, if she's there for a conference, for sure. That matters. 
And, and plus, just women in general are a little more particular, and, yeah. right? Like, like the the fit matters. You know, it's not not like us. So yeah, we're just like I don't know. Is it? It's fine. Whatever. Yeah, extra large. That's my size. Yeah, yeah. Do you? Uh, so when you travel for work stuff, do you typically spend all of your per diem? Um. So uh, I've never been at a company that had this straight up per diem. Ooh. Um. Really. Um. It's it's like you get this much for breakfast, this much for lunch, this much much for dinner, and so what I do with dinner is I is I typically try to buy like the cheapest food and then and then fill it out with beer. Like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've never I've never worked for a place that just is like, oh, you get a hundred bucks to spend on whatever whatever yeah. today. So yeah, I which I definitely would spend all the per diem if that was the case. I would do that every time. Well, your your company's good. So when I traveled with SB Nation and they gave me the per diem, I still found myself like, like, oh, you know, should I order? Should I spend it all, or should I, you know, get something, you know, not necessarily smaller, but just sort of cheaper. Like there are some things like I just can't convince myself to buy like a twenty dollars steak or whatever, you know. Twenty dollars um, steak, Jeff. Yeah, I know, I know, right? It's it's like when I when Sarah and I went out for our anniversary. Yeah, there are much better steaks. I, I know. Um, when Sarah and I went out for our anniversary to Bend in uh, in in December, uh, we went to a steakhouse and and I was like I was psyching myself up before it, telling myself it's worth it. The steak is worth it. It's going to be expensive. It's okay. This is a special dinner. It's worth it. And of course it was. It was like this incredible tomahawk steak. It was oh, yeah, absolutely. It was insane. It was so. It was so so good. But at any rate, it's like. It's funny, you know, when I when I would get, you know, uh, a per diem, I still feel weird spending other people's money. I feel like I should, uh, you know, be very responsible with it and not you know, spend all of it. So you're very responsible at the zoo and in your wing buying. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but yeah, I, so bring it back to indie, you know, the, yeah. on the top of that. So, um, uh, we were having the conversation. We we're walking around like this. Looks like it could be any like mid-sized city in the u.s like there's nothing like when you're just walking around it like there's nothing exceptional looking about it but like to give it a little redemptions um obviously saint elmo steakhouse is probably the most famous thing here um we didn't go there for dinner but uh i did really want to try their shrimp cocktail which wright thompson wrote a lot about in his article um, it's like a they they put a lot of horseradish in the cocktail sauce and so it's very spicy. So we actually ended up going to dinner tonight at this burger place, which was started by the St. Elmo people, which is just a few blocks away from our uh, hotel, and very good burgers. And we they had the shrimp cocktail on the menu, so Amanda and I tried it. It's fucking good, man. Yeah. Like it was really, it was something you could definitely make at home. You just take a standard cocktail sauce and get like a horseradish sauce and mix them together, and and like you could do at home, but like it was fucking good. Like it was it was definitely like clear your nose out. Now like I mean if you're not used to the horseradish spice, like it probably could be a bit much. Like if you don't like horseradish, like you wouldn't like it. But if you're used to horseradish and and it's it's not overbearing and it's phenomenal. It definitely gives you a little nasal cleansing, but like it, it was. It was excellent, and I'm and I'm glad I didn't have to spend 
uh, $60 on the steak to buy the $15 cocktail, shrimp cocktail. But, uh, um, uh, but uh, yeah, so because uh, Amanda, um, Amanda's budget is more limited for this conference, so uh, she can't just go you know, take us out to a steak restaurant. Um, she's only uh, only expensing her meal and not mine and bees. Um, but uh, but uh, um, I've been with a friend before who worked for a, a game company. And just we happened to be traveling at the same time, and he's a beer nerd friend. And we were like at, we were going to like breweries together, and he was just like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'm paying for everything, all expensive, like everything we're doing. He was like buying beer to go. He was buying beer for like rent, like just like he was buying meals for me and like other friends he had, and he was expensing that. I'm like, oh, it's a whole different level. Um, but, but anyway, so. That's living that, the dream right there. That's living the dream, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but uh, anyway, so, and then, of course, uh, as I alluded to, um, Indianapolis has the largest children's museum in the world. And I took today off to take my daughter up there. We spent six hours there. What? Yeah. That's a it long is, time. And that is going from thing to thing with there was a one hour nap in between there so five hours of doing stuff they had like they have a dinosaur exhibit we started with that that's right at the front and then we went to like other exhibits they have space station exhibit they have a glass exhibit from dale chihuly from tacoma yeah um so you know um museum of glass in tacoma is uh, because Dale Chihuly. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so we, we, we just, you know, we went to a bunch of different exhibits. They have this uh, sports section. So be just, you know, they have like basketball and soccer and golf and football. So B played some basketball. She played some soccer. Uh, nice. She played some golf for the first time. Threw her club down in anguish. So I think she has a future. Um but yeah, oh, I'm sure she does. Yeah. She definitely does. Right. Then we went to the, uh, you know, one of the things I saved for the late afternoon, it, it was the uh, the area that was specifically made for kids five and under. And then within that, they had a, an area that was made for like toddlers and below. And that was, B just had a blast there. Like yeah. it was, everything was her size and, you know, she could figure it out based on, you know, your, your 19 month old intellect. Um, yep. Um, and so, uh, you know, so that was, she just had a blast and, and, you know, there was another space where it was just, you know, under nine months. And so she could look over there and be like, oh, babies, babies, you know, it was, it was funny. Like she knew she was bigger than them. And, and, uh, cause she, we did a few other things where there was a bunch of much older kids and you could tell she was very intimidated, but, but, uh, she, uh, like it was great, man. Like they, they have rotating exhibits, like. They uh, they have an ancient Greek Greek exhibit that we uh, had to pay extra for, so we didn't because honestly there was enough stuff to do there. I was like, yeah, they're gonna add on this other thing, um, but but along with that they had this like whole um, exhibit about life in Greece and stuff, which was very well done. I was so impressed, like to teach kids about life in a different country and not have it be like based on caricatures and things like that. Like, yeah, it, it was very impressive. Like, so, go Indianapolis, fucking kick-ass children's museum. 
that I spent six hours at today. <laughs> and it's like, it's actually Which exhausting. I've never spent, like, I've went to some amazing museums, like, you know, like in New York and London and Paris and whatever. And I'm, I don't think I've ever spent six hours in a single museum until today. No. <laughs> But with your kids, it's like, so we, so a, a good children's museum is worth its weight in gold. Oh, absolutely. Um, we used to have a membership down at the, uh, the hands-on children's museum in Olympia, which is which a fan. Way better than the one in Tacoma. Oh yeah. Yeah. The one in Tacoma is like, whatever, like it's, it's fine for like an hour, you know, um, the hands-on children's museum in Olympia is pretty fantastic. Um, and which should tell you something because we used to have a membership and we live in Graham. So it's, it's, you know, it's an hour drive. drive an so hour, yeah. Get, yeah. It's an hour drive or so to get down there. Um, we did let it lapse mostly just cause we, it's not that we weren't using it. We were, we just sort of like, it just sort of happened and then we didn't react. Kid, but one of your kids is 12. Probably. Yeah. That's like, the other thing. So when they were a couple the other of years, they're heading that way. So yeah. when, when, they were all three in that zone. It made a lot of sense. The 12 year old kind of, eh, you know, um, but it is great. Like the really good ones, they, you know, they stimulate your kid's brain. They, they stimulate them physically, intellectually, um, give them lots, lots of things to do. And you could spend hours and hours and hours there. And actually the hard part isn't the kids spending all those hours there. It's you. Cause you have to like watch them and you have to like be interested like standing around and you're like, and then the kid wants you to like, Hey, do this thing with me. And you're like, I don't really want to, it's a children's museum, you know, yeah. that's for you. Yeah, uh, that's what I thought that was great about today. Like, and we didn't even go to everything in this museum and, and and, I, and I'm with a uh, 19-month-old, so she wasn't that interested in anything for that long. And we were still there for six hours. And I, I had never want. well, in the Paw Patrol area, I was like, I'm ready to get out of here. Also, it was <laughs> the end of the day. Yeah. Um, mostly, I don't know anything about Paw Patrol, and B is not watching that yet. And Oh, it's coming. Yeah, Just wait. But it's like dogs, and she loves dogs, so yeah. like you know, the little dog characters. Oh, that yeah. Stoked about that. So yeah, it's whatever, you know. Like it was, I was so impressed with it. I, I mean, because B's under two, I didn't have to pay for. Her. So it was like twenty six bucks for me to get in, and apparently if I would have bought it like weeks ago, it would have been even would have been cheaper. But that was a fucking great twenty six bucks I spent. My yeah. dad had probably one of the best days of her life. Oh she yeah. No, but like. She got a thousand just, pictures. Yeah, you know, smiling. I, literally, because mom wasn't there, so I had to, I had to uh, send pictures I, to mom. Yeah, that was because when B took a nap, thankfully, it was right when I needed to charge my phone, so we could like take an Uber home, and I could take pictures for the next two hours. Uh, yeah, it was great because she got to have pizza for lunch, which is her favorite thing. She calls it zappy because <laughs> she's an idiot apparently. Um, I love it. Uh, but uh, she had pizza for lunch, and it was not very good pizza, but she doesn't know that. I learned that I think she's definitely like a, a just plain cheese pizza lover at this point because she was taking the pepperoni off of it and handed it to me. <laughs> uh, so here, she, I'll share with you, Dad. Yeah, here, Dad, have this thing I don't like. Yes, I always love always, it when kids, yeah, did she shove it in your mouth? Because that's what my kids do. They're like, here, they try she, to shove it in my mouth. She thinks it's really like, funny, but she thinks it's funny to I hand really it to you and pull it away. She thinks it's really funny to pull it away. That is pretty funny, to be Side honest. Side note, when we were at the burger place, um, I had tater tots and she had fries. 
The fries were actually better. Um, she made the better choice. Uh, but I was later eating my tater tots because the burger was pretty filling. It had this like super thick bacon, delicious bacon on it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, she was eating half of each tater tot and then putting it back. And then she has learned now to she she's obviously turned a corner on loving ketchup. She was taking the fries, dipping them, sucking ketchup off, and then once those were getting too flimsy, she would switch to another fry. So I think she likes ketchup more than French fries now, which French fries were her previous favorite food, Ooh. which we would, we would which we would give her on special days so that she would know that today was a great day, like today, and. She was just like sucking the ketchup off French fries and then tossing them to the side. Like she, she would use the fry like six or seven dips into the ketchup and then this like it would break, you know, like break off and then she'd like put it back on the plate and grab another one. That's Anyways, funny. this is not good podcast content. But no, no, it's funny. Like it's it is funny. They, you know, kids, uh, kids have their little quirks and. And what's uh, one of the fun things is just sort of watching them grow up through that, you yeah. know, where, um, you know, they change. And, you know, so I, I'm happy to report that since my youngest is seven, um, my kids no longer shove food in my mouth. You know, that's it's a thing they don't do anymore. But when they're two, they're, you're like, you know, because they I, I at least I assume that this is what happens you know, you spend time putting food in their mouth. And so they think, oh, I'm going to be very nice and put food in your mouth. And yeah, it's like, I don't, really, I don't really want she you thinks, to do yeah, that. Yeah, she thinks she's being nice. I'm like, sure. You're not being nice. I do not want you to shove that food that's been in we your mouth. We just have to politely be like, no, thank you. No, thank you. That's for you. Yeah. You're like, but you, dad, you just ate the other one. No, this, but no, that one I don't want. That's okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but anyway, if you've got small kids and you've never taken them to a good children's museum, I, I promise it's worth it. You, it's totally worth it. You will not work. Just buy the damn membership. Yeah. If I it's used within one a of reasonable days drive. off because I was just going to work today. And then one of our friends who lives in Bloomington and we're going to have dinner with tomorrow. She told us that like the Indianapolis children's museum is amazing. So yeah. I was like, I was like, maybe I could do like a, I was like, nah. Like, I'll just take a full day, and I'm glad I did. Cause you're going to go get, uh, while you're there, you're going to go get, take a tour of Assembly Hall or anything like that? I've been to Assembly Hall. Oh, that's right. I've been to I a forgot about that. Assembly yes, Hall. you have. I forget. We'll have to, we'll have to reminisce well, about that. Well, an hour time. away, too, and we don't have a car. I'm not going to take a tour of, I wouldn't have done that. But, but yes, I've, I've, I've been to a game at Assembly Hall. That's right. You used to live out in the... That part of the country, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, exactly. It was only, I I was like, yeah, and we have yeah, friends yeah. that live there. The friends that are coming to have dinner with us tomorrow. So. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Anyways, all right, man. I think. Uh, yeah. I think we I think did a good job on this podcast. Uh, I, I think we're so great. Uh, we are. We're and we awesome. don't care if you think that we're not, but yeah, if you do, we think know we're, we're awesome. But if you do think we're great, please subscribe, and uh, give us five stars on whatever service that you have subscribed to us on. Um, I would love that. Um, if you have any funny comments to leave, we would love that as well, because uh, I like reading them. Um, and uh, if you want to uh, have a comment, a question, a disagreement, preferably, uh, podcast versus everyone at gmail.com. That's versus as BS, uh, not like versus spelled out like that old TV channel. 
uh, that Connor Holiday threw for 450 yards against Arizona State on one time. Um, yeah. Also, you can uh, contact us on Twitter at Pod versus Everyone, and then for me at the Craig Powers. Um, I think that's all the contact spots. Um, but yeah, Jeff, good job. Go Cougs. Go Cougs.